Season 2, Episode 7. Hello, I'm Pat Axbom. And I'm James Roy Lawson. And this is UX Podcast. We're in Stockholm, Sweden, and you are listening to us from all over the world, including Namibia and Hong Kong. And this episode is a link show, but it's not an ordinary link show. It's quite a very, very different link show. Because oh, very, very be different. A, yeah. Okay. Because uh, you'll be able to listen to the links. That, that's essentially what you're going to be doing here in this show. Yeah. So in today's link show, we're featuring two articles, um, one of which um, is by James Royal Lawson um, called Final Call. And the other article um, is by Per Axbone and is called Your Unique Typing Rhythm Can Reveal Your Identity. And what's so special about these articles is that they are also podcasts. <laughs> Yes, both um, Per and I, um, we are recording audio versions of our articles that we write on our websites. And this is your chance to, to listen to those podcasts as part of this podcast. Um, and we'll do our usual link show thing by reflecting on these articles a bit as well. So, James, let's start off with, with your article uh, final call and give it a listen and I have to say just off the bat it for me it was extremely painful just listening to this with an air of authority and accuracy the departure board said that the gate to my flight will be shown at 1927 not 1915 not soon but 1927 Relax, he said on the screen. We've got this covered, the screen reassuringly implied. He also said the flight was estimated to depart at 2017, 12 minutes late. Confident accuracy once again. At 1926, I decided to walk up to the screens showing the departure information. If I'd been promised new information with such accuracy as 1927, then I wasn't going to miss this event. I checked my watch and waited for the final seconds to pass. 1927. Nothing. I stood firm. I waited. Then, at 1928, the screen updated. A7. Go to gate. By this point, I'd already received a push notification to my phone and a text message saying that the flight was delayed until 2020, not 2017. Ah, well, that's only three minutes later. I guess that Norwegian do a bit of rounding in their systems that Manchester Airport don't in theirs. Shortly after, an other apologetic notification appeared. The news this time was that flight was delayed until 2012. It took me a moment to register that this new time actually was better than the previous one. My flight had heaved its way eight minutes back towards the scheduled departure time. This joyful news wasn't immediately obvious, as the wording of the notification followed the same we're really sorry to say your flight is delayed template as previous messages. This worked okay for the first notification, but with the updated improved delayed time, 
it felt a little off. An improvement to this would be to have separate notification templates for initial delay, more delay and less delay, plus some reasonably straightforward logic to help pass on the correct information, relatively adjusted for the context the traveller finds themselves in. I digress. I made my way to the gate not long after the information came up on the departure board. So I was there well ahead of most of the passengers on my flight. There was a steady stream of people arriving after me and the gate filled up as they do ahead of flights. Then across the speaker system for the terminal came the announcement that it was final call for flight D84470 to Stockholm. Final call for all passengers. Once upon a time, the final call announcement really was the final call. You really needed to be at the gate. If you were lucky, and probably because you had some checked in baggage, then you'd get the extra announcement shaming you by name to everyone. At Manchester Airport Terminal 2, these final call messages are automated. They appear to be automated based on the scheduled times. My flight was about 10 minutes late. Yeah, oh, okay, 8 minutes late according to the second text message. We were all here at gate A7 waiting for the boarding to start. Yet the announcement just said final call. Moments after the automated announcement, the gate staff made a corrective announcement, saying roughly, don't worry. Or more specifically, they told us explicitly to ignore the announcement. They explained that the announcement was automated and that boarding would start shortly. Relax. Easy for us to do. We were all by the gate. We could see that boarding hadn't started and we could hear the announcement by the gate staff. The thing is, the announcement by the gate staff was local to the gate. It could only be heard on the speakers in the immediate vicinity of gate A7 and a few nearby gates. Not long after the automated announcement, the gate staff's corrected announcement that is, people started appearing in the distance, further down the pier, running towards our gate. They arrived, one at a time, red-faced and panting, hardly able to hold a conversation, stressed and thinking they were about to miss their flight. They each came to a halt at the gate only to be met by the gate staff, who say, we haven't started boarding yet. Such a frustrating mix of authority, accuracy and nonsense. The impact of poor service design. The initial departure board information, with its minute-level accuracy, creates a perception of control and reliable information. The automated announcements, relentlessly bound to the original timetable, create a perception of incompetence and unreliable information. The corrective announcement then doubles down on building the perception that the automated announcements are useless, but also creates some level of reassurance that the gate staff, who are ultimately the people who need to be on top of things, are generally on top of things, but unable, it would seem, to prevent the automated announcements. The passengers who, after hearing the final call and sprinted down the pier in order to arrive in time, had a stressful and sweaty experience that has likely resulted in the erosion of trust in the airport and airline. This kind of experience reinforces an expectation that systems don't work and of services that don't live up to what they pretend to be. This kind of letdown is something we face daily. We are priming people to expect that digital services aren't very good. This is the absolute opposite of what we hope to achieve. In the end, we arrived in Stockholm 10 minutes ahead of schedule, 
and not eight minutes late. Relax, said the screen. Okay, so the, that pain I expressed uh, uh, before we just played this uh, this uh, little clip was uh, based on my own experiences traveling these days, and everything is just so complicated. If you're you're trying to stay on top of things because you're sort of a tech geek and you have all the apps installed and you want to stay informed, but staying informed today means that you're getting information from lots of different places that aren't always synced, and that just creates a lot of frustration. Yeah, um, yeah, it's 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 that whole kind of high-level thinking of, of, of the experience, which is what I was getting at in the, in the article. That's, you know, the service design just breaks down when you look at the full journey. Um, as, a, as an individual going through that flying experience, it's a mess. Um, it's a mess, and it's a mess in a very, very short time frame as well. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, it, it, it's stressful. It destroys trust. It, it you know, it makes you, makes you sweaty as you're running towards gates. Mm. I mean, it, it, yeah, it's, it's really not good. And, you know, of course, I, I try and think, what can we actually do? It's, mm. it's very well me describing and saying what, you know, that service design is missing. But um, you know, where do you put the service down? Where, where, do, where is the intervention that would make this work? Exactly, because you have to go up a few levels. I mean, somebody is working with the staff on how they're announcing stuff. And somebody is working on the tech that announces stuff automatically. And someone else entirely is pulling information into your app, which is third party, I assume. And so it's, it's really hard to know, well, who, who owns the information and who, who should be responsible for fixing all this? Yeah, and on, on top of that, there's a pilot in an airplane who knows full well what's going on. Who knows everything. So really, we should just give him a microphone. Uh, yeah, basically. Um, <laughs> no, and that's that, you know, the, the end of that story there was you know, we arrived on time. We arrived slightly ahead of time. And, you know, I'm, the pilot knew that. The pilot knew that when he was trundling in late to Manchester to pick me up, they mm. already knew that turning around and go back, you'll have a backwind and it'll come in 10 minutes early. The, you know, the, the whole thing was, was just charades, just nonsense. It didn't need to happen in that sense, in this example. Exactly. And, and what I was re- reflecting on as well was that it's, we're talking about a few minutes back and forth we don't need this information. I mean, I can wait for the bus and it'd be late for five minutes. That's fine. I'm not, I don't need like five notifications telling me, oh, it's three minutes late. No, it's, it's seven. No, we're back to five. It's like, it's just useless. It's useless interaction. It's, it didn't even have to be there. <laughs> Everything could just be quiet and you would have been fine. <laughs> it's exactly. <laughs> if it were a bit less would have been better yeah. in, the, in this situation. Um, but going back again to like how you actually solve this, it's kind of, for me, that's actually the most frustrating thing is that I don't see how it's possible to solve it. Yeah, well, <laughs> solving it means take away the computers. Don't make Ooh. the computers talk to the to the uh, travelers. Make the computers talk to the staff, and then the staff will be full aware of what the computers are saying, and they can adjust that as things happen. Mm-hmm. And they can decide, well, I'm not going to announce that it's seven minutes late because that doesn't matter. But you can't take it away, though, because you've got all these airlines that have got all their apps, all the information, there's all the stuff there, and they're sending it. I mean, there's so, much, there's so many layers you need to take away, Pag, that it's, it's, it's almost, even that, what you're saying, of kind of taking away computers and taking away the information, is as, is as big a problem as actually fixing the integrations. 
So, well, the fix, the fix has to be somewhere because the fix has to be that I, as a human being, including the staff, doesn't have to deal with all the frustrations and the anger. Uh, that means so putting on soundproof headphones and just not not caring. <laughs> ah, self-preservation. Uh, yeah, that's actually... I mean, that, that, based on what you just said, that has mm. to be the solution because if you can't fix it that way or the other way, then I have to protect myself and my well-being. But then if they change gates on you, you're not going to know about it. Nope. So you miss your flight. So again, it's not a proper... Oh, this I have so to carry a sign. I'm going to this flight and somebody will have to go, come get me. <laughs> My name's Per Axboom. <laughs> if you need me, I'm here. That kind of thing. <laughs> but this... Um, but, but, but no, I mean, some people commented to me that, you know, all oh, service design can solve this. It's, you know, it's service design um, using systems thinking and we'll be able to kind of work out where the intervention's needed at what kind of like level. And yeah, absolutely, you work out that it's needed on a global airline level or something like that. But I still think, you know, we've, we're going to have that problem of execution. You know, when you actually try to do the intervention, are you going to be able to do it in a way which actually succeeds? And mm. this is my frustration with, with so many of these things we have. Is that we, we talk about the theoretical aspect of service design or systems thinking and what, you know, what we can do, how we can design something, how we can make, do an intervention in the right place to make a difference. Mm. But how often do we see it actually working? That feels like a leading question, James. Mm. Uh, I'm still looking. <laughs> No, we're just we're making things more and more complex because there are so many integrations, there are so many touch points. It's and 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 somebody says we're going we're going to solve it this time around, but not solving the root problem of we don't need all this information. Mm-hmm. We need to go back to understanding what is the information that needs to go out. We don't need to send out everything just because we can. We need to send out the information that helps people be prepared, feel better, and and make good choices. Mm-hmm. And as is at the moment, we're still we're still trying to fix things in slices. Yeah. You no, know, the airport tried to fix is its experience. Hmm. You know, the the airline tried to fix its experience. Um, you know, we've 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 got slices that are all being dealt with, and and in isolation, a designer might be happy, or you know, um, might be happy with what they've produced, but in combination with all the other slices, it's yeah. it's not working. And like you were saying, you, you're not even certain that the staff is aware that their information doesn't go out into the whole terminal and just stays at the gate. I, I, I honestly don't know. I mean, they yeah. seem to be aware about the automation side of things, that mm. they, they couldn't stop the announcements. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure they, they knew how far they went um, in the airport. Hmm. This, yeah, there's a lot to... There's a lot to know about what's not happening, <laughs> if that makes sense. And the best thing would have been if nothing happened. Yeah. <laughs> Our second article today, or second podcast um, today, um, is your um, article, Pad. It's actually from 2020 is when I wrote about this. Mm. Uh, about uh, something called keystroke dynamics. Your unique typing rhythm can reveal your identity. A rarely talked about field of research known as keystroke dynamics 
involves identifying individuals based on how they type on a keyboard. It's getting better and also easier for anyone to implement. As early as 1860, experienced telegraph operators realized they could actually recognize each individual by everyone's unique tapping rhythm. To the trained ear, the soft tip-tap of every operator could be as recognizable as the spoken voice of a family member. In World War II, military intelligence used a methodology known as fist of the sender to identify unique ways of keying in a message's dots and dashes in Morse code. It was used to distinguish friend from foe. The pace and style of the communication allowed expert operators to deduce who was in the other end. The more you type, the more of your unique qualities can be collected and identified. Even if people type on keyboards at approximately the same speed, everyone will have specific pauses, sequences, and hold times for certain letters that are true only for them. The more of these variables we have access to, the more certain we can be of a person's identity. Common misspellings, errors, preferred words, punctuation, capitalization, and use of emojis will, of course, all play into this data. The more that is known, the closer confidence levels come to being the equivalent of a biometric fingerprint. The behavioral biometric identifier retrieved through input by a keyboard, known as keystroke dynamics, of course only gets better over time, able to take into account that your typing varies over a day or days and can be affected by external factors. Your typing style can identify you in otherwise anonymized data. As you will likely be aware by now, this technique can of course be used to de-anonymize anyone wanting to appear anonymous online. So whatever security precautions you may have taken, keystroke logging may very well be enough to identify you. Want to stay under the radar? Random taping of fingers, wearing gloves, or consuming an alcoholic beverage may fool some software. But don't forget to also develop your vocabulary. Note that key logging is illegal in most countries, akin to wiretapping, and hopefully not employed as much as you might fear. But the data is very easy to collect in a digital world, by any website, and often the creators of software aren't thinking ahead on potential misuse, or maybe aren't even aware that what they are doing is illegal. Facebook was saving everything you typed, even when you didn't hit publish, very early on. TikTok today saves keystrokes when you use their internal web browser. Who is doing what these days is not always obvious, and sometimes the logging itself is done under the guise of enhanced security, sometimes valid and sometimes not. But once again, consumer control is essentially non-existent. Awareness is all we can spread. In 1844, on May 24th, Samuel Morse sent an historic telegraph message from Washington, D.C. to Alfred Vail in Baltimore, Maryland. 
The message read, What hath God wrought? One thing I think of straight away, Poe, is you talk much slower without me. Well, I'm not really talking. I'm reading. Ah. So maybe that's what's going on. Okay. Hmm. No, I, no, oh, how, 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 fast, how fast did you play it? <laughs> Normal speed. Okay. Not, not, it's not a criticism. It's a reflection. Yeah. Well, Interesting. I was thinking as well, though, what um, does this does – this, Techniques or this research, can you can you apply it to touchscreens as well? I mean, a lot of talk there about how you use keyboards, but can you? I, I'm pretty I'm pretty confident you can apply it to touchscreens. I mean, that's the same thing. Everybody's using the same. There's a, going between letters. There's always this similar time frame each time, mm-hmm. and once you add up enough of those, you will have enough data to, well, that's understand true. that there's a unique person behind it. And I guess as well that the um, touchscreens now they're I mean they're they're pressure sensitive. Exactly. So you can so tell how much you're pressing, and I guess you when you've got well, swiping yeah. actions to write words, mm-hmm. then I guess you you swipe maybe in a in a particular pattern. Uh, and some people style. use space. Some people just use small characters. I mean, there are so many things. And some people uh, use abbreviations on phones nowadays that are very unique to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so pro- maybe there's even more unique language for each person uh, today as well, well. That's actually mm-hmm. an interesting aspect of this. I mean, you. You were talking there more specifically about um, the inputting of characters um, and, and monitoring, logging that, yeah. and how that reveals your identity. Um, but what we're seeing as well is the use of a body of text to identify, identify you as an individual. Yep. Um, I mean, I, I, I remember the example of um, J.K. Rowling, author of the Harry Potter books. Um, she was outed. Um, as the author of a book called The Cuckoo's Calling um, over 10 years ago now. Mm. Um, and, and that was done um, by analyzing various texts and, and realizing that this book had a, had a match um, to, um, um, to her style. Um, right. But back then in 2013, they actually called this computer software rather right. than um, AI. Which well, rather than the now. popular term today for a computer software. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, yeah, so we have our own, I mean, uh, not only the way we type is a fingerprint, then the, 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 the way in which we string words together exactly. is a fingerprint. Yep. And that's pretty scary. And, and, and there is so much data uh, from our typing going on nowadays. And, and sometimes, I mean, I'm reading things today along the lines of we can install software on people's computers that can tell us if they are feeling unwell or if they, they are having mental health issues based on how they are typing and how their typing changes over time. And it's interesting to me that people are finding actually, well, trying at least with research, trying to find, can this be helpful? Uh, At the same time, of course, as it's extremely dangerous uh, in that people are often not aware that this is going on. Oh, so you're saying that your typing style, so not just your your the word you're using, but mm. the, the typing style and, and what you output um, can be used as a diagnosis tool. Yes. Um, that's really interesting. It is really interesting. Uh, <laughs> that then puts into that same thing again where mm. we've got a tool for good, yep. which at the same time, I mean, I know that the, the US government, for example, has got mm. a, a program um, that they're pursuing to, to 
analyze texts to identify individuals so so you can't be anonymous via text anymore that if you've written something they can then work out who you are exactly yeah so yeah so as soon as you start logging all this information you are never anonymous anymore and there's, it just takes so little to understand exactly and pinpoint the exact identity of a person which is just insane so, so what we're actually saying is mm. that any of us with anything published online mm. can't be anonymous pretty much yeah and I, yeah i mean that's my conclusion and I have to say, based on uh, an interesting aspect I've also been reading about typing, is that uh, a lot of uh, software is now being developed, also called this dual letter acronym. <laughs> but uh, I, I, can, I could record you typing on your keyboard right now, and it could work out what you're typing just by the sound of it. Oh, right. Hmm. Huh. I want that touchscreen again. You won't be able to hear me if I've got my touchscreen. Oh, that's, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. touchscreen becomes a security mm. feature. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> but you said um, about the legality aspect. Mm. Um, it's a, illegal in a lot of countries. Yeah. Um, is it also, is that in all contexts? I mean, like, can my, how many employees, employers can have laptops with keyloggers in and things? Is that is that something which... I mean, it is surveillance. So, it, I mean, as, if the person isn't aware of it's happening, then it's, it can possibly be legal, at, most, at least in most Western democracies. Yeah, well, you're, in Europe, I imagine it's possibly not. I mean, I, I actually don't know. I've not researched this, but um, mm. it's, uh, spontaneously, I'm going to say, well, it's probably okay in America and it's probably not in Europe. But, but that's, yeah, um, it could be. It also depends on how it's how it's like written. It could be that well, we are going to use it for this purpose, but we will never save the exact information on what you are typing. We're just logging how much you are working, I guess. Yeah. Well, that's um, yeah, lo logging what's been typed of what you're realizing. Um, I mean, that's another example I can I can think of when I've worked with 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 chat. Um, the chat, you know, chat operators that you do in customer service. That sometimes there, when you're writing things in the input box before you send it, the chat operator can actually see it because it's getting transmitted character for character yeah. beforehand. You um, mentioned that to me, and it, it, that feels absolutely insane. I mean, how is that legal? Because that is also surveillance. Yeah, yeah and the way it was explained to me was that it was done to Im improve response metrics. So you actually can, you know, you can prepare your reply as an operator to send pretty much straight away as you receive the question. So it looks like you're doing a really quick, good job. Um, but what but it essentially, I can type, I can type, you idiot, but delete it. But I just want to type it because yeah. I'm frustrated yeah. with the operator. Yeah. I type that, delete it, and they've seen it that I've They've seen it. it. So they're, yeah. And that's what I've seen in research. Mm -hmm. that they, they're, they're actually colored. They're actually affected by that, mm -hmm. by seeing that response. There's a bit of trauma there that they've seen it. And they, they have to then work on... Um, getting rid of that from their own response, um, mm. you know, because they haven't seen it, but they've seen it. Um, and then you've got the deception side of things for the actual um, customer that they don't understand that they're being monitored in that sense. They think that everything's safe until they press enter. Of course. Um, and that's, I, I think I mentioned that as well. And I, I mean, this is something that Facebook did that what you typed into the Facebook status window was actually saved, even yeah. if you never sent it. Yeah. Oh, we see. We, we mm. see with autosave. You see this in a lot of tools. I mean, of course, chat yeah, tools right. and email yeah. and the rest of it. You, you know, everything's autosave now. So, mm. so you know, you you do have things saved even when they're draft in your context. I mean, you see this as not ready. 
mm. but it's 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 there somewhere. So that yeah. means it's open for potentially for other uses um, that exactly. you may or may not be aware of. Yeah. So I suppose what I'm trying to do when I write these things is that I'm trying to help people become more aware so that they can take better care of how they approach digital services. But it's, I mean, it is essentially impossible these days. And I think people need to be aware of that as well. But that obviously also triggered things that you thought about. Well, if you type it over there, people are going to see it. So if you use a keyboard, the information will end up somewhere. Yeah, I'm going to use... Pen and paper more. I mean, it feels like when I say that, it's like, oh, you're you're you're, you're uh, tech. Uh, you you hate tech. You don't want you want you don't want us to innovate and evolve. Well, I do. I just don't want all my data saved all the time. And imagine all the all the the the, the servers that that's needed for this, and all the data traffic that's going on all the, all the time as well. It's just there are insane amounts of data and storage and electricity being used just because I typed a word on a keyboard. <laughs> yeah, when, you, when you put it like that, just yeah. because I typed a word on a keyboard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, um, it's tip of the iceberg sort of stuff. Exactly, because when you, I mean, when you visit a lot of newspapers online and you realize how many trackers are there actually logging what you were typing and how you were interacting with the site, constant traffic to many, many different sites being saved all the time. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> So, well, um, <laughs> I think though, um, if these, well, today's link show has been to give you an insight and a bit of a um, look at the kind of stuff me and Power are writing about um, elsewhere um, outside of the podcast. And please um, go ahead and subscribe to um, The Talking Tin, which is the name of my podcast with James Roy Lawson, and Carefully with Power Axeboom. Available um, wherever you get your podcasts. Yes, which is probably why you listen to this one. Um, we will be back in January um, for another batch of Season 2 episodes. Um, until then, you can listen to our other podcasts. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. So James, did you hear about the hungry clock? No, I didn't. I didn't hear about the hungry clock. Yeah, it went back four seconds. <laughs> <laughs>